What's up, everybody? It's Bo here with another Mandalorian TV talk. Okay, so, um, what? Let's just do a little exercise, shall we? What if, because so very many of the cartoon characters making their way to live action has been a hit, what if we were to make a live action episode show thing? What if we were to actually make an entire cartoon episode, but in live action? But Star Wars cartoon in Star Wars live action. So basically, what if we were to take an episode of The Clone Wars, you know, or, or, or something that might find its way as a potential episode of The Clone Wars in that style, in that tone, in, you know, that, that era, and put it in The Mandalorian. People love The Clone Wars. People love The Mandalorian. We just blend these two things and make a Clone Wars episode of The Mandalorian. It'll be a hit, right? Well, so this one's a little bit of a polarizing episode, right? Like this, this for one thing, in in the promo material, I think a lot of us saw the dome-shaped uh, city over kind of a, a grassy field, and assumed if you're familiar with, you know, I guess with. Uh, the, the Mandalorian lore and kind of how Mandalore has shown up in, for example, the Clone Wars. The assumption was that this was going to actually be like a flashback to Mandalore during maybe its, its heyday, during its prime, before even, you know, Satine took over, like before they kind of pivoted from the, you know, classic Mandalorian ways to kind of this era of, you know, nonviolence and pacifism that was kind of the, the Duchess Satine reign of Mandalore as a result of like this constant warring and everything else that kind of the civilization tore itself apart. And so they're like, all right, well, we're going to go this completely other way uh, for a time that didn't work. There were all of these uprisings and everything else. And in fact, even, uh, you know, Bo-Katan and Satine, their entire family was divided over this, this reality of, of what the future of Mandalore or even the present of Mandalore should be. But anyway, all that cool stuff aside, we saw in the promos this dome city and we thought, oh, this is cool. We're going to get some sort of flashback to kind of an earlier days of Mandalore. So, you know, that's not happening. That's not what that was. Instead, we got this, which is this city on this planet where it's being run by not necessarily an imperial warlord, but, you know, an ex-imperial officer who has married the Star Wars equivalent of the Queen of Hearts uh, from, you know, Alice in Wonderland, except she's not evil. So, you know, that's a plus. And they're ruling over this city that's very, uh, what, Blade Runner? There's, there's a lot of, like, things going on in this episode. A lot of alliter- a lot of uh, kind of, like, nods to a lot of other franchises and everything else. But it's all wrapped up as this kind of, you know, very Clone Wars-esque episode dealing with very Clone Wars-era tensions and realities. Now, there's a lot of good here, right? Like, we see... You know, Din, you know, his his whole issue with droids has been a little bit off and on throughout the run of this entire series. And I do think it's a fun aspect, or maybe not fun, but interesting aspect of his character, that he is so distrustful of droids and especially battle droids because they killed his family. So obviously, this is kind of a traumatic thing for him. So seeing him deal with the droids and the battle droids kind of kicking them around, which by the way, just the effects on this show continue to be incredible. Like the way he's engaging with those battle droids, it feels very, very right. You know what I mean? Like those kicks feel felt. Feel felt? Yes, feel feel felt. 
Another cool concept in this, droid bar. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's a nice little kind of reverse of the we don't serve their kind here from, uh, from A New Hope. And actually getting kind of some of the droid perspective of their walk in life. You know, we've only ever gotten one other droid that whose brain would ultimately be ripped out to become the Millennium Falcon and one of like the most Black Mirror-esque decisions of Star Wars history. And she wasn't really all that into the notion of being a droid and kind of being in the, living in this subservient life. Which makes sense. You know, the Millennium Falcon has a bit of a rebellious spirit. So why don't we take that rebellious spirit, personify it into this rebellious droid? It's a cool concept. That's fine. But here we're getting kind of a different perspective from a lot of these droids in terms of, you know, hey, we're used to be separatist droids or we used to be imperial droids. And, you know, there's a new regime. We want to continue existing and we don't mind doing the thing that we were built to do. So we have an invested interest in all of this being taken care of. It's got a cool thing. And the fact that this is all tied to a conspiracy due to a, you know, kind of elder statesman in this civilization who had separatist leanings is also kind of interesting. I thought that was a, you know, kind of a fun little mystery that we had our characters go down to unveil what was actually going on. All of that, very, very solid stuff. And I don't even mind that this is kind of a classically structured Mandalorian episode, which is, you know, Mando wants to go somewhere or do a thing or get a thing, but first he must do task for whomever these said new characters are. There hasn't been a lot of that this season, and I've actually really liked the fact that this season hasn't gone back to that classic Mandalorian style uh, storytelling because everything's just been kind of firing on all cylinders. Like, I feel like it's been moving along and progressing along very aggressively this season. And this one felt very filler in a way that maybe in the past it didn't feel filler because that was the show like literally that's what the show used to be mando wants to go somewhere mando needs a thing mando needs a information or, or something of that nature and so therefore in order to do that he's got to do this side quest before he can go off and continue on and progress on in the main quest that was the mandalorian for an entire season and part of season two large part of season two actually but that hasn't been the case here so for that reason, it does feel like this is very much filler. And again, it doesn't just feel like that. It feels kind of like a cartoon. And I think that's intentional. I think this was supposed to be the concept of what if a Clone Wars episode, but in Mandalorian live action. And the result, I got to tell you, I just, I don't know. It didn't really work for me in that capacity. Lizzo and Jack Black, look, there's we got three major cameos, you know, our three kind of major casting you know, uh, uh, actors in significant roles of this episode, right? Two of them took me out. One of them was spot on. I think freaking Doc Brown as kind of the separatist sympathizer works perfectly. I think that was a great casting. Makes sense. Jack Black and Lizzo as kind of the, you know, imperial weirdo and the queen of hearts. Uh, I mean, you know, there's been, you know, it, it's fine. It's fine. It was a. Okay, it's fine. It was. It was fine. I, I'll be honest. It was the Jack Black for me. Like Jack Black, kind of. It was, it's Jack Black. You know what I mean? Like I can't fully immerse myself in this narrative without seeing Jack Black acting silly. Now I do like the concept of this ex-imperial officer who is a cartoonishly silly individual, and I think that's a kind of a, a cool concept. And for the record, I also kind of don't mind the concept of taking the Queen of Hearts. And but Star Warsing her, that's cool too. And I think actually Lizzo did a pretty fantastic job with that. It just feels all weird in this context of this show. So yeah, Lizzo as this character, cool. This character and kind of this world that's built around her in this series feels a little off. And then also 
the Jack Black of it all. So yeah, fine, I guess, for what it was. Very different, by the way, from the opening scene. Like the opening scene where it's like you have the star-crossed lovers and we have this Romeo and Juliet situation that's being interrupted by these, you know, uh, mercenary Mandalorians. I thought that was going somewhere. We didn't even touch it. So I don't even know if that's going to come back into play at all. But they are rolling around with Moff Gideon's ship. And there's a lot more of these folks out here than I think we've been led to believe or at least that we've been able to see. So it's kind of nice to see that actually, yeah, there are a ton of Mandalorians. And it's interesting because there is a very specific and clear divide that is on display here between the kind of the, you know, quote unquote, natural born Mandalorians versus those that subscribe to the Mandalorian religion, kind of those that have kind of come through and and kind of converted to Mandalorianism or have been foundlings are really carrying the true rich nature of who the Mandalorian people are. They're championing the culture of what Mandalore the Great was and all that he stood for. And then you've got these other Mandalorians that they've been through all of these different regime transitions. They are completely lost. They are completely without a sense of culture and identity and everything else. Sure, they're rocking the armor, but they're all over the place. They don't, you know, there's some things they still, you know, hold dear. For example, clearly the Darksaber, that still means a lot. And there's a lot of kind of mythology that's wrapped around that. And there's a lot of cultural significance there. So so that's still in place. But at the same time, they look at the more devout in what is should be their their culture and they kind of reject them they 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 cast them out and thus why Bo-Katan is so important right now as this great unifier as somebody who can kind of be this reformer in her own culture and and planet and people this is a big moment for what the future of the Mandalorians are now that all fantastic great well done like the fight between her and the dude that was cool that the the dark saber Though, I don't hate that Bo-Katan has the Darksaber. I don't like that she got it on a technicality. And I feel like that that jumps immediately kind of like, it, it polishes over what I think is probably one of the more interesting elements of the Bo-Katan-Din Djarin relationship, which is this tension that exists between him having the saber, not wanting the responsibility, her wanting the responsibility, not having the saber, and the ultimate like clash of what's got to happen here is that these two need to fight. They actually have to confront each other. There, there needs to be a war between these two individuals, so to speak, that, that don't want to go to war with each other. That's a fascinating like dynamic in their relationship. And it also requires both of their people groups to kind of have a vested interest in what's going to happen next in the leadership of their people. Bo-Katan just kind of getting the thing because she happened to defeat, defeat the creature guy, which by the way, that was an awesome scene. I mean, like, I love that they did a, a throwback to it because that was fantastic. But like her her doing that and and like just now, Din Djarin's like, oh, hey, by the way, this is yours because a couple episodes ago, that thing that happened, I just, I wanted to wait to, to tell, tell you that so that everybody here could see it happen you know, just in case we ever ran into our own people. I, I don't know. That just it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. And I also just hate that they wrapped up what I think is a very interesting plot line in such an unsatisfying way. So yeah, there you go. That's how I feel about all that. Not my favorite episode. In fact, possibly my least favorite episode of this entire series. It had some good stuff. Loved the deal with the Ugnaughts. Loved the deal with the droids. I, the mystery, I didn't hate. I loved... There's just a lot of components that I really liked, but the sum of its whole is just really a swing and a miss on a lot of different levels for me personally. But hey, we got two more episodes of this season. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I've got a lot of faith in this franchise and where they're going to take things. So we will 
we will see what we have to see. Look, that's going to do it for me for today. Uh, be sure to share your thoughts with us. Head over to twitter.com slash TVTalkFM. Uh, use the hashtag MandalorianTVTalk to let us know what you think. That's going to do it for me for today. But don't worry, I'll be back in a flash. Mm-hmm.